Hello and welcome to Compulsive Reader Talks. I'm Magdalena Ball and today's guest uh, has been on the show before and I'm absolutely thrilled to have him on again. The fabulous, multi-talented Richard James Allen. Uh, he is an award-winning writer, dancer, actor and filmmaker. Um, there's probably other things as well, uh, yoga instructor, all sorts of things, but I'll stop there. <laughs> Former artistic director of the Poets Union Inc. Um, and founding director of the Australian Poetry Festival. Richard was co-artistic director with his partner, also fabulous Karen Perlman of That Was Fast, New York City and Taz Dance in Launceston, and now at the Physical TV Company in Sydney, which both of them run. Uh, Richard has published some 13, I think that number is right, books of poetry, fiction or performance text. And most recently, the extraordinary text messages from the universe, um, which we're going to talk about today. So uh, welcome, Richard. It's great to have you on the show. Oh, thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. And, um, you know, you've got a fantastic show and it, it's, um, it's, yeah, it's really special. Thank you. Um, so before we begin, and just to give our listeners who may not have bought yet bought your phenomenal book, um, but of course will, uh, can can we just have you read a little bit from it, just to give us a sense? And and, and let me just tell people before you start reading, you're probably going to do this, but I'll just preempt you and say that what you're going to hear is one component of this book, and and Richard and I'll talk about that shortly. You know, there are incredible visuals in the book so there, there are beautiful pictures there's a film to go with it you know this is this is really a kind of a, a, let's call it the text messages from the universe experience of which you will be getting slice <laughs> okay the text messages from the universe universe <laughs> yeah, that's right <laughs> great well look i'm thank you um i'm sitting here on gadigal land in sydney and i'm honored to read here today a few excerpts from text messages from the universe I'm going to be reading from um, a few sections from part two, which is in 49 parts, and we'll explain why later. Um, and I will just say the numbers. So if anyone later on or following along wants to, to sort of see where I read from, I'll, I'll read the numbers and we'll just jump through a few of those. 20. Sometimes it's safer to pretend you remember what you're doing here but somehow you've slipped out of the little rituals that remind you of who you are and now you can't remember a thing you can't even remember if you have any problems which is kind of good but have the feeling that those with whom you're supposed to act out your mutual problems might be waiting for you to appear on the stage 21 Oops, that's it you're an you have a, a role, a, a character that you must put on, like a, a set of clothes, like a pair of gloves. But which role? In which play? And then there are the others. What if they're as lost as you? What if they're waiting for you to say your words so that they can have a cue and a clue? And that's why they look at you so blankly. Everything is starting to blur. Who knows where you'll wake up next time? Perhaps in a different play by a different author. 24. Maybe 
A mad person or someone who used to be called mad is one for whom the pieces of their personality are too far apart. There are vast, empty spaces in between them. Sometimes these black holes go so deep, they fracture all the way through to other realities. Then the so-called mad person starts hearing voices and has to endure bottomless depressions and strange altered states of mind. But they're not exactly mad. They're just experiencing a blending of dimensions, dimensional synesthesia. You wake up screaming. You can never really rest. At night, you're always caught in train wrecks, leaving bags on buses late for important appointments. You wake up screaming all the time. You think that a part of you is screaming all the time, but it's a scream that no one can hear. And that's why you keep screaming, because it can never come out. It's a stillborn scream. <clears throat> Thirty-three. As everything comes down around you, you want to believe in something, but there is nothing but ideas. You live in a sea of ideas. You think you live on dry land with solid things, but that is only because you dream it so. In fact, everything is flowing and that slipstream is made up of the manifestations of hundreds and thousands of tiny thoughts which you clothe with substance and call things. The problem is you want something you can't actually have because it isn't there. It isn't anywhere. It only exists when you create it and then it doesn't really exist in itself only as an evocation. You can never really experience the oasis, only the mirage of the oasis. There is no escape, only the idea of escape. But you can escape into that idea. Hmm. There is no escape. Only the idea of escape. <laughs> I love it. Absolutely. <clears throat> every time I listen to the to you reading from the book, but also every time I engage with the book, it's a little different. It's kind of like a choose your own adventure. Um, to just talk to me about you know how and, and and you know in what context the book came together. It it seems to me like an extraordinary act of courage to you know and and difficult um, which you pull off to engage in such a way with this kind of uh, I guess. What, not just the Tibetan Book of the Dead, which, of course, um, is part of what text messages engages with, but the whole notion of identity and who we are and what this life is all about. Well, these are <clears throat> really big questions, I have to say. Um, excuse me. And it took me a long time to write this book. <clears throat> I mean, I, I, it's, a, it's part of a even... There's even another context because it's part of an even larger cycle, though each text can be read on its own. But this took me a long time because these questions were so large and I didn't want to, you know, stuff them up. I didn't want to be sort of like, um, you know, trying to, to 
jump at a wall so high I couldn't get over it. So it took me many years and, and literally lots of research and thinking and experiencing to, to sort of get anywhere near trying to cope with a subject as big as this one, uh, which I hope I have you know done something with. Um, I guess I've just always been interested in ideas of <clears throat> consciousness, the self, life and death and um, Yeah, I'm not sure what I can say. I mean, I it, I I grew up in um, Vietnam and Japan, so in my first ten years of my life. So I think the the sort of ideas of you know, Buddhism, Shintoism, Taoism, these kind of ideas were uh, deeply immersed in my consciousness from very early on, and I feel like <clears throat> I sort of always had to find my way back to them and uh, come to terms with them in some way. Mm. Yes, I mean, maybe we all have to find our way back to them and come to terms with them in some sort of way, right? I think that's, again, one of the, the themes that comes out in the book that, you know, you can get there anyway. Maybe it's a car accident. Maybe it's just sitting in, in silence. Maybe it's in being in the garden. I feel like the book is all those, you know, that the setting of the book is variable. Again, choose your own adventure, depending on how you read it. Yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, the book's in two parts. The first part um, is a little bit more linear and it describes uh, what I just called part one, an introduction to dying, an odd way to be born. It describes what I just call a sort of as a dying process. Um, and it's dramatized to the idea of a, a car accident or a hit and run. Um, and in a way, that that segment, it, it's taking you from where you are normally to some other place or the portal of some other place. Um, and then the second part, which is the larger part, part two, Book of Bad Dreams, that is inspired, well, the whole thing is inspired by the Tibetan Book of the Dead, which takes you on a, is a, is the, was a text read by Tibetan monks to people as they died, literally through the dying process, and then for forty-nine days after they died, after they've died, um, reading to their spirit or their grave or some favorite place to reach the, the the sort of disembodied spirit as it travels between death and rebirth, and the book sort of mirrors that. So, um, I guess the first section you definitely can read in a more linear way. But the other sections are all about the the fractured state of uh, consciousness that exists when there is no time, when there is no body, when there is no up and down and cause and effect, and nothing makes sense. So there's certainly a way in which you can read them all the way through, which have been written that way. But at the same time, you could also read them in different orders and just read some of them and. Um, uh, I guess the, the the guiding metaphor for that is the idea of the bardo or the in-between state. Um, as you say, it could occur anywhere. It could occur in the street, in the garden, in meditation. It's sort of a moment of, of illumination of um, sort of, I guess, expanded space of consciousness. So yeah, you can dip in and out you can read the book as your own adventure into your own consciousness. 
What a tagline. And, um, you know, the, the book itself, as as an artifact, um, as one of the artifacts, I guess, surrounding the text messages from the universe universe, um, is just exquisite. You know, it's full color. It's glossy. Um, there are images on every page, text through images. Um, this could easily have been a coffee table book, but you've maintained the pocketbook size and price, I might add, which is incredible value. Uh, so just talk to me yeah, a little bit. Generous. Yes, very ge- ridiculously generous. Um, get just you know, it, it's it's a cup of a, a expensive Sydney coffee. Um, so just talk to me a little bit about um, the format and and how and why you chose to make such a stunning book. Firstly, um, which I know is no easy task, and also you know why you chose to do this in a really accessible pocketbook. It's a great question. Um, so. Look, there's definitely the possibility of a coffee table book one day, uh, but I should I should go back and say that um, the images in the book are images from a film adaptation I made of the text. So before the book was published, I had an opportunity to um, make film, and one of the resources I had for the film was, in my mind, the text. And so I used the text as the sort of basis for the film, we made the film adaptation and then later on the book uh, was the text was published as a book and at that point the opportunity came up to use images and um, so there's an amalgam in the book um, and I'll talk more about that in a sec but the um, it certainly could be a coffee table book um, and that would possibly be an iteration in the future if it becomes a massive bestseller Maggie. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just assume that might happen one day. Yes. That's right, exactly. Um, but here's the thing. I sort of, I love the pocketbook format. This is a Flying Islands pocketbook format. I did uh, one a few years ago called uh, Fixing the Broken Nightingale, um, which is a gorgeous book. Um, and I noticed that um, everybody loves this book. I mean, I keep talking to people and I go, I love that book. I love that book. It's something that they this format and the they just love having a book in a form that is kind of like what they imagine poetry to be, like a little book you carry with you to talk to you, to speak with you, to meditate with you, to dip in into here and there. Dip into here and there. So so I knew that this format was a beautiful format. And um and I've been talking to the wonderful publisher of Flying Islands, Kit, uh, Christopher Kit Kellen, for some time about a new book. And I felt that text messages, because it is contained, because it is a single book um, and a sort of a contained text object, would actually fit really well in this format um, because uh, it's sort of like a whole experience that you can carry with you. And it's also very much a text that is addressed to the reader um, as the as the Tibetan Book of the Dead was sort of addressed to the listener or the reader. Um, and so it's sort of something that I think is very personal. So I thought that this kind of format is really good for that because it's sort of like, again, it's something you carry with you. It's like a like a book of prayers or something like that. And I should say that my copy of the Tibetan Book of the Dead which is the original translation is I should have brought it for the images, but it's also a small book like this, not quite this small, but 
you know, so to me, the association really worked. Um, and then I have to really have gratitude for both Kit and the wonderful designer, Dylan Jones, because Kit was the one who said, look, you know, we've got to do, we've got to approach this book in a really creative way. Um, and we had a whole sort of workshopping process about that. Um, and then uh, so thinking about, you know, fonts and looks and designs and images and through a process of working with Dylan, um, we came up with the idea that we could in fact use images from the film, even though we couldn't use the full range of images. And so we went through this beautiful process of selecting images and sort of choreographing them into the text. Um, and I'm super grateful that um, one of the places I teach at Kappa Global Education Network gave us some money for the, uh, as a grant for to, you know, that's a kind of extra expensive. You can't, um, you can't normally have a poetry book that's color like this with pictures. So it, it was a sort of special coming together of people who kind of, I guess, believed that this, this text um, was worth taking to another level in this book form. Mm. And and I really, I just love that the whole way in which, you know, kind of in that counterintuitive sense, you have kind of the grandiose aspect of the book and it is you know it's grand it's, it's it's got big images it's got big concepts it's you know it's it's again visual like an artifact and yet it is you know it's small it's easy to put in your pocket it's it's kind of flexible you know it's a it, it, it's light um you do carry it with you so that that whole that whole notion that counterintuitive you know this is this is a something i can i don't have to be precious about this and yet it is precious um it, it really works to me and and it kind of explodes a lot of myths as well at the same time so it's amazing and then you also have the film which is you know kind of the the maybe the less portable <laughs> more grandiose and and quite different in its you know in where you have to focus your attention um, way mm. of looking at similar concepts. Yes, well, I think, um, you know, through the course of my career, I've done a whole bunch of different works that have um, at different times brought my my interest in different media together. Um, I saw a fascinating talk from Laurie Anderson on uh instagram yesterday saying i just call myself a multimedia artist it's really convenient and i was thinking yeah, i should have done that <laughs> anyway but um but now i've done these sort of multimedia works um but i also find that they can be difficult for people because it's you know there's a lot of layers and so i i haven't done so many of them recently but someone was you know encouraging me uh choreographic friend of mine Karen Kokoven was like you should bring all your media together I said are you sure that's a kind of dangerous thing to start to do it's it's very big and it takes a lot of kind of um openness from an audience but I decided I would follow that up again so yeah text messages from universe film is truly a um a multimedia project because you have um this whole layer of uh music from Ola Turkiewicz, which creates a sort of kind of bed of consciousness. And then you have all these images, these photographs that I took, which are kind of a journey um, into, into the sort of details and, and the distortions of the particular to try to get you a sense of like what it's like to be in a space that is not the space you're normally used to. So it's a very sort of highly 
upright shaped kind of journey of form that is out of your normal sense of form and then we have all these dancers floating through representing the figures that you encounter in the bardo that are beautiful but strange and disorienting and then we actually have the text on the screen and and then and the film is actually screened all around the world just like that but my kind of what i was particularly excited about with the launch at the ritz and a couple of other times we've done it um was to actually have it i mean the, the fullest expression of the idea was actually at the ritz uh, recently so everyone in the audience got a copy of the book they came into the theater they could open the book and see you know that there's text in there and there are these images and then the film starts um, and you see those images on another scale on the screen um, and you you read the text but then i'm also reading the text you the audience reads the text for themselves but they also hear me reading it live so it becomes a fully immersive sort of journey into this altered state and then you take the book home and go deeper for yourself mm, wonderful absolutely wonderful and and yet another uh example i think of why that the, the small kind of portable inexpensive format works so well because it, it it is kind of that you know you can you can give one to everyone in the audience it's an extension that they can take yeah 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 i think um yeah i think that you know there's this kind of level in which it's also very much a uh, a book that is about our shared you know shared humanity so mm. it's not it it's meant to be beautiful because you know we are beautiful and it's meant to be small because we are small and it's meant to be universal because we are all connected yeah one absolutely wonderful and but also in a strange way and maybe mostly in the beginning um confronting because it, you know, it, I think it undermines that whole sense of what what it means to be an individual that we all grow up with. You know, our boundaries, our our constraints, our our binaries. Uh, it kind of breaks them a bit. No, oh, it's good. It's a good <laughs> thing, I think. I, I mean, you know, I've, obviously, I'm interested in what's broadly, but I have a feeling it might sound weird these days to say Eastern spiritualities, but I mean that. It's a lot about decentering the ego, um, not, you know, necessarily having no ego, but kind of seeing the ego within the context of a of a broader uh, sort of set of shared experiences and shared um, how do I describe it without standing hokey. Shared, shared, shared our lives as networks. Yeah, as being yeah. part of one single mesh, the mycelium of yeah. the human existence, you know, how we are interconnected. Yeah, exactly. yeah, absolutely. And yeah. and I know the text message, I know the book, you know, text messages is poetry and not invective, but I feel like there's clearly an invitation here to, you know, to really engage with rethinking our reality and the potential of our lives and, and maybe, you know, receiving those text messages that maybe we've been ignoring, right? Like, you know, our species is in trouble. Um, are these text messages coming from the universe? They're coming from our earth. They're coming from all sorts of sides, right? It's, it's an invitation to accept those text messages. Well, I think it's an invitation also to kind of listen to our deeper selves and our deeper consciences. Um, uh, because it's like we already know 
what the right thing to do is. It's just a question of whether we're going to listen, you know. And we, when we know when we connect to nature that we are connected to nature and that nature is speaking to us and through us. And yeah, we have to just listen. Yeah. And, and maybe, you know, again, I think this is one of the text messages in the book. Um, and there are many text messages. And we'll maybe just talk briefly about that as well. Um, but, you know, the numbering, but the... Um, maybe the linear progression of time, you know, notions of sentience, notions of consciousness, death versus life. Um, you know, the maybe um, it, it seems to me these, again, these binaries, these these um, rigid structures that are very, you know, commercially um, valuable. <laughs> you know, somebody profits from keeping us in, in these, uh, I guess, in these definitions. But I think we're starting to learn, aren't we, that, um, you know, those are damaging, that we really do need to see these connections between ourselves and and to decentralize the, the ego. Well, I think, I think um, yeah, I don't want to start getting on soapboxes, but I think we, you know, we, we, uh, we spend a lot, we, myself included, spend a lot of time caught up in our what we might call our small selves and um miss the bigger picture and that isn't really a happy place to be we think it is we're grasping onto all this stuff we want all this stuff and i think somehow by bolstering that small self that ego self we will be happier but it's sort of like endlessly unhappy <laughs> so you know the happiness is on the is in the other direction mm. is in the giving and the sharing and the connecting and the letting go yeah yeah wonderful and and that is one of the text messages the big text message maybe from the the book um in in terms of the little text messages i you know i i feel like um the numbered structure is is quite interesting in that each of those numbered segments um they come through as little text messages. You know, they kind of stand alone as as little little chunks. Well, I took the idea of <clears throat> the forty nine days comes from the Bardo uh, text message of the uh, sorry Tibetan Book of the Dead, which suggests that um, the soul is in this sort of disoriented, floating state, disembodied state for forty nine days. So I took that as the structure, but. Um, it's sort of like and it, it's sort of like the consciousness keeps coming in and out of focus so it's like you suddenly appear upside down on a tree mm. or you're suddenly you're, you're experiencing this and that so there is a sort of there are sort of leaps sort of impossible leaps through time and space um and ordering um between them so i think you you can read them and they flow but at the same time Yes, you can just jump in and out because each one is sort of like um, like a hyper focus or a, 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 a massive focus. They're sort of they're they're yeah they're as you say they're they're mucking with our nice stable realist world frames. Mm. Yes, wonderful. Um, so we 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 are starting to run out of time, but I I would love to hear like what's exciting you at the moment. What are you are you working towards something, or are you just excited by um, you know something creatively that's happening around you? Well, um, 
I'm excited about writing some new poems, actually, which is good because, you know, when you're doing a book and you go through this whole process, it, it becomes very focused on realizing that vision and which has been a fantastic process. I'm really proud of the work, but um, I'm actually super excited about some of the new poems I'm writing. Um, I'm also working with Karen Perlman, my partner. We're in uh, post-production on a fabulous new film called Breaking Plates, which mm. um, is a dialogue between women in early cinema and women today. Um, we had access to this extraordinary and award-winning and sort of um, raved about in the New York Times and Wall Street Journal DVD collection of films from uh, women in early cinema uh, called uh, Cinema's First Nasty Women. And it features all these highly rambunctious, um, you know, women kicking cops out windows and stuff like this, acting in a quite non-feminine way, quote unquote. Um, and we're sort of asking how come women were so much more free and rambunctious in early cinema than they appear to be today? Mm -hmm. And considering we're supposed to be in a freer time, um, which I don't really believe in brackets. Um, so anyway, it's it's that's a huge, that's a really fun work, um, really playful, us really big questions, but in a really playful kind of slapstick choreographic way. Um, and we're just about to start the um the music for that and I, I have a role in that I play all the men all the kind of uh silent movie bad guys <laughs> heaps of the cops and the delivery men and yes I'm kind of typecast as a bad man but I'm really a beautiful person of course so of that's course. did I mention actor in your bio I think I did if I yeah. didn't yes, actor as well I did mention actor in your bio yes yes there's there's not too much you don't do those are a couple of things that are exciting me right now. I'm working um, on some other film projects. Um, my son, Sam, directed a beautiful film, which I produced and have a small role in called Cut, mm -hmm. um, which is uh, actually an examination of Jewish identity and queer identity through a magic realist lens. Mm -hmm. um, fascinating film, which we hope will premiere soon. So, yeah, there's projects along the way and developing new ones and trying to be in the moment you know that's brilliant and and look what I'll do is um I'll certainly put a link to I think it's the crowdfunding page for breaking plates um in the show notes yeah, is that, yeah, that yeah. the best thing to yeah, send yeah, people yeah, to we're, that would be great because that um that's through documentary Australia which is helping us um raise some money which we could certainly loves to get some help with for that um it'll all go to really wonderful creative people um and there's also a trailer for the film there so oh brilliant yeah please come I'll, on I'll put that yeah yeah for sure and and with cut um if if there's any information you want me to stick in the show notes to you know to support that film please let me know I'm I'm excited and keen to see that as well yeah I think you'll be super excited by the film it's um it's really brave and I'm just I hope um you know Sam Samuel Lucas Allen our fabulous son um, is a really brave writer and director. And, you know, I hope people will rise to the occasion of how brave and actually confronting the film is, but it asks a lot of really challenging questions, um, which don't always get asked. Yeah, I would expect nothing less, Richard. <laughs> it's the, it's from the family as a whole, incredible creative, creative uh, kind family. of energy. 
from the oh, mycelium so of the family. <laughs> exactly. From the universe of the family. That's right. Absolutely. So that's wonderful. That is all we have time for today. But thank you, Richard James Allen, so much for joining me today on the show. And I am sure that you will be back again for a third time. Um, so thank oh, you, everyone. I, I love you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.